Well, hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast. Here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. I'm your host, Jez Field, and thanks for being with us for another conversation. In today's episode, I spoke to Claire and Steve Musters, authors of the new book, Grace-Filled Marriage, in which they share their journey of being married for nearly three decades and overcoming significant challenges. It's a really practical and honest book, packed full of stories and experiences of married couples from all walks of life who've journeyed through all manner of challenges. As we emerge out of lockdown as a nation and around the world and into the summer, what's left of it anyway, perhaps it's time to pause and discuss with your spouse, if you're married, some of the challenges that you might be facing. Claire and Steve's story was one of Steve working an incredibly strenuous job, working antisocial hours that put untold strain on their marriage for up to 10 years. And of Claire then eventually seeking appreciation and love ultimately outside of the marriage. This is a story of restoration and of how God's grace has played such a pivotal and essential role in shaping and recreating their marriage. And links to where you can buy the book will be in the notes and description for today's episode. I've really appreciated their time and honesty, vulnerability and courage and found so much of what they had to say deeply practical and deeply helpful in so many ways. I've been looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Well, for now, over to Claire and Steve for the conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Why don't we um, just break the ice with some of your practical top tips for uh, a healthy marriage over many decades? So take it away. Who wants to go with that Enough one? Other than many decades. I mean, three is many, isn't it? Or maybe a few, a few decades. <laughs> Well, I think first and foremost, I would say um, actually give yourselves the permission to admit that marriage can be hard work. It is such a wonderful gift. And yet, actually, we can kind of put it up on a pedestal and think that we have to have everything perfect. And actually, it can be really hard at times. I think we need to be able to admit that to ourselves, but also to other people. Um, So that would be the second point as well, actually find trusted friends that you can develop really close relationships with as a couple, because we we each need support. I think sometimes pride can get in the way. Um, We don't want to be honest about our difficulties. And I think finding some trusted friends to share and pray through issues together is absolutely vital. And that would be our next top tip is make sure you pray together regularly. And that's something that actually... Although, I mean, we do marriage prep um, for couples and marriage MOTs, that has always been something that's been a challenge for us. And I think probably because for the first decade of our marriage, Steve just wasn't there. So we're quite happy to lead prayer meetings and to pray in a group, but actually it still can feel a bit stilted praying together as a couple just because it was so not part of our relationship at the beginning. And remembering that you're on the same team. It's really important because I think um, in the day to day busyness and when you've all if you've both got busy jobs or and looking after kids, sometimes it can feel like um, trying to work on your relationship is just yet another mountain to climb or you feel like you're kind of coming at a, a day in completely different directions. So actually just keeping in your mindset, actually, we are together. This is something we do life together Absolutely. is really important as well. And just practicing forgiveness daily because you probably need to, we certainly do. Be really analytical about your own complacencies creeping in. Um, 
be diligent. Yeah. So you, I mean, you as a couple, I think I remember from your book, you've been together since you were 15. Is that right? Known each other since, well. Known each other. Actually known yeah. each other since I was 12. Okay. Um, and then we got together when I was 17. Yeah. So we grew up in youth group together. Um, so yes, we have known each other for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't put you off marriage. How about that? <laughs> Seeing each other in your teenage selves. When we got together, we actually, we had a, a mutual friend that the three of us were really close. And Steve said to him, I'm quite scared about this. This is either going to completely ruin our friendship or we're going to get married. And fortunately, the latter happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about uh, authenticity and vulnerability as we go, because, you know, it's, it must be a very um, challenging and difficult thing to write a book where you're essentially laying bare all of your private discussions and private selves in a page of the book for everybody to to read and to look into, particularly as those in church leadership. That must be very hard because church leadership at times feels like a goldfish bowl at the best of times. Um, and, and Steve, you're someone you describe in the book as being very private anyway. Um, We'll come and talk about your story in a sec, but how have you navigated that world of now not just being in a goldfish bowl, but now putting it all out there in, in the book? Yeah, I mean, f for me, I think it's taken me far too long to realise that particularly as a leader, a church leader, what people need is not to see a finished article. They need to see how we deal with the messiness, our own mistakes, how we deal with the, the daily challenges of life um, in a godly faith-filled way and so to you know I naturally paint over all the cracks try and put on a facade and I've had to really assess that Claire's really helped me with that um, to just kind of strip back and just be willing to be exposed and what we found is on the back of just being real and telling our story and not just you know the story that the book is based on but also just our daily challenges and struggles it, it gives people permission. It opens the door. We, we got so many couples saying, oh, it, you know, you've given us permission to talk about it. Not that they needed it, but it's like it opened the door for communication, for discussion, for, for people to actually be honest themselves with their struggles and where they've been at. So, yeah, I just I just had to put all that pride aside and just say, you know, this is worth it. This is worth it. Telling your story is powerful. And yeah, as I said, it gives people permission to actually be real with where they're at as well. It's been a long journey with that, though. I mean, yeah. I was um, in the first group um, in the New Ground Training Academy, and it was actually I was listening to Phil um, preaching about talking about preaching, and I kind of switched off a bit because I thought, well, I, at the time I didn't preach in church. I was like, this isn't for me. And God really stopped me in my tracks and said, actually. I want you to start telling your story, but I want you to write it down first. And that was that's how Taking Off the Mask came about, which is where everything that happened in our marriage um, kind of made me realise that I'd been wearing a victim mask. And when that got taken off quite abruptly, um, I went on a real journey with authenticity. But obviously we had to talk about that as a couple. And I know one of the things Steve felt right at the beginning was, oh, my goodness, all these leaders that I've trained with that um, I interact with, they're all going to know about this. So we kind of had to do that hard work and praying through that back for that book, which came out in 2017. But it's still hard. And even when we come to do interviews and when we reread bits of the book, there are these kind of pangs that like, God has redeemed this. God has restored yeah. this. And he's done amazing things and been so gracious uh, but actually, there's still that there are wounds there that and, and actually, as wounded people, I think the cracks of God's grace pours Absolutely. through. But there is a cost involved. Yeah. And so um, we have to walk that out, although we made that 
choice to do so. There are moments where we think, oh my goodness, what are we doing? <laughs> we very much made that choice together. Yeah. You know, as as we know, the whole of scripture is a story of redemption. And when we've got our own personal redemption stories to tell, um, that is just an opportunity for God to be glorified. As Claire said, you know, for his glory to shine through our little cracks in our messy places to say, you know, I'm bringing redemption, I'm bringing healing, I'm bringing hope where there was no hope. And I, I find that incredibly inspiring and powerful myself. So it's a case of get over yourself. This isn't about you. This is about God's glory. So, um, yeah, it was a decision we made together very early on. That's really inspiring and a really helpful reminder. We forget, don't we, how messy the lives are of the people that the Bible focuses on. These are not squeaky clean people. Very few of the people who feature in the Bible would make it as church leaders based on you know the character requirements. It's very challenging. Well, why don't you, we touched on touched on it there. Why don't you uh, just share for those who haven't read the book yet, and I say yet because people will go out and read it after this um, podcast, but why don't you share with us some of your, your story then of how you came to write the book? I mean, we, the book does cover um, a lot of things that we've learned over almost 30 years. Um, and each chapter, it says grace is or grace covers. Um, and, and we've included loads of other people's stories yeah. as well, because we know ours is a very specific journey. But it was a very painful one. So in those first 10 years of our marriage, Steve, as you said, was a record producer. So he literally worked around the clock. Um, and I was in my final year of uni when we got married. Um, and to everybody else, it looked like we had the perfect setup. I mean, I got um, my dream job in a, a publishing company before I'd even finished my degree. Steve was um, following his dream in the music industry. Um, and yet the reality was we never saw each other. Mm. And I got incredibly lonely and incredibly bitter. Um, I used to uh, work really, really long hours and then go straight out um, and go to the pub with um, work colleagues and they were feeding me messages that kind of made my ego kind of got, made me feel justified because they were like well you've basically been abandoned you can do what you like and so I kind of that's how I lived for a few years until I realized actually this is doing me no good at all and um, and so I did get much more back involved in the church I started running a small group with um, another woman whose husband worked in the city um, and we got to a point that we were asked to help plant which is the church that we're in now. Um, and actually it was Steve and, and another couple of guys that really felt called to that, which was quite interesting. And I kind of wrestled with, it's like, well, God, I'm the one who's around and I'm the one who's praying. Why haven't you told it me? So I had to work <laughs> through that one as well. Um, and it was in that time. So it was just at the point that we'd, we'd launched and we were part of the leadership team of that. Um, and we had another couple that we were quite close to that actually lived just in the next street to us. Um, and it was the husband there who kind of um, started reaching out to me and said he understood the loneliness that I felt in my marriage because he felt the same. And so we started conversing by email um, and I didn't realise how emotionally attached I got to him until he turned around a few months later and said, I'm leaving. Will you come with me? And in that moment, I was in utter shock. But then I thought, what do I do? And I thought, well, I've had 10 years of this. And we had moments along the way where we um, stopped and, and I had a meltdown and said, I can't carry on. And we would talk about it. We would pray about it. And we couldn't see a different way forward. And I'm sure you can mm. comment on that after. Um, and so I thought, well, I've, I've done this for 10 years. I can't do this anymore. And so I jumped ship and chose to trust him 
within the uh, short space of a couple of weeks, God had really been on his case. He'd been saying to him, look how much space you're showing to Claire. Look how much compassion you're showing. You've never done that to your wife. You need to go back and do that to her. So all of a sudden, he just turned around and said, I've got to go back to her. And so within two weeks, there I was just left totally alone, thought I'd lost my husband, my home, my church, because obviously everybody knew my work because I just started writing a series of Christian books. And I thought, well, I can't do that anymore. And so there I was reaching towards the age of 30. And I thought, right, I've completely screwed up my life now. But the first person I rang to tell very tellingly was Steve. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, I knew there were serious dysfunctions in our marriage purely because we just weren't together we never never saw each other we used to have breakfast together occasionally you know ships passing in the night very literally but um you know as Claire said every now and again there would be I can't go on things have to change but I mentioned in the book you know it's almost like rumble strips on a motorway I just got lulled into a sort of full sense of I don't know how to change this I, we just got to cope with with where we're at this is just our life at the moment um and I just got lulled into this full sense of security and apathy complacency and you know just like rumble strips you know when you start drifting off the motorway you suddenly get woken up and Claire was my rumble strip she was like things can't stay like they are and I would still ignore them you know rather than pulling over and getting a rest and saying we need to sort this out I would carry on driving carry on driving and um you know I say, I say in the book it's it's amazing how comfortable you can get with um just a dysfunction and you just learn to live with it and that is so dangerous you know and I think when the door slammed and Claire left it was only then that it finally hit me you know how could I have been so complacent how could I have allowed it to get to this um and uh, you know I think there's a couple of reasons why one of them was because I didn't know what to do I hadn't gone to university. This was my dream job. This was everything I'd worked towards. Um, I was also, you know, being very successful in that. And that's, again, hugely dangerous as well. So um, it was the other side of it was I didn't really know who to talk to. Um, I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to kind of say we've got major issues here. Um, so, yeah, pride, complacency, double, double whammy um, that led to. Claire feeling that she had no other option so I remember when when she left us you know I just was brought to my knees obviously and I just remember going straight to God and just crying out saying what do I do and I felt God say you know what do you want and I, I just remember almost faith rising and saying I want to fight I want to fight for this um, and several days later I remember just just praying through it all, just just not really knowing what to do, moping around. Um, and yeah, as I said, the, the, the phone called and it was Claire saying what had happened, that this guy had, had left. And immediately I just thought the fight's on. Um, and so... But that actually happened. You, he was in the middle of a session at that point. Yeah. Um, and so he dropped everything. He said, right, sorry, guys, I have to go um, and came to get me because it was nighttime. Um, and that kind of that spoke volumes to me, as did the fact he also then went to his boss and explained what had happened. And Steve was actually the only married record producer that I knew. We, we knew because <laughs> everybody else's marriages had gone by the, the wayside by that point. And so his boss just turned around and said, I want to do everything I can to support you. So they went to the amazing length of 
closing the studio at 8 p.m. every night, which is not early, but it's way early um, because he was finishing three, four, five, six a.m. Um, and so, it, and, and that showed me that Steve was serious. Uh, and it also showed us we should have spoken up an awful lot yeah. earlier because we just thought there was no way in that industry they would make changes, but they did, yeah. which was incredible. But I think, you know, having said the fight was now on, to fight for Claire, you know, that was almost the beginning of the journey um, in many respects. Yeah, we had we had three months where I went and lived back with my parents. And in that time, I was really fighting and wrestling who I was, um, what um, what I was supposed to do. And, and and in that time, you get an awful lot of well-meaning people who just say, well, you should go back to sleep, shouldn't you? Um, and you just need to move back home and just get on with things. Uh, and it wasn't until um, a woman who um, I spoke to on the telephone, she was actually the wife of the guy who'd married us in the first place. And she just listened to me and said, well, wow, you have got so much heart inside of you that needs processing before you can even begin to ask yourself that question. And actually, um, after quite a lot of time, my parents lived by the beach and I used to just go along and, and wrestle with God. And all the way through that, I mean, he could have really nailed me and said, what on earth have you done, Claire? And yet, of course, I had a huge amount of repentance to do. And it was an incredibly humbling experience. But also he just kept affirming me, just kept telling me how much he loved me. And I think all those things I'd learned from childhood that I knew in my head, finally, I actually felt God's love in a, in a way I'd never done before. And I learned a lot of that through Steve and the way that he responded to me. He really showed me God's love in the way that he just waited. Um, but eventually we decided to spend a week with that couple mm. having some intense like inner healing um, prayer. We'd do it individually and then we did it together. And what was so lovely at the end of that week, we decided that we would renew our vows and we just did it just with them. And so, as I said, he'd been the person who'd originally married us. Um, and so at that point, at the end of that week, I then moved back home with Steve. Yeah, it's it's obviously I had to learn a lot of patience, you know, because obviously that sort of green light for me came on from that phone call. Um, and I had to learn that actually jumping straight back into, well, let's let's just get back together and without dealing with the deeper hurts, which both of us were obviously carrying, um, would have been a huge mistake. And so allowing space for each other, I, I just had to learn Claire needed space, despite my eagerness to try and fix things and get things back. I just had to actually trust God and entrust Claire to God that he was doing a work in her. And actually, he was doing just as much a work in my heart as well and needed to. So, yeah, there was just this almost separate God at work in our hearts, um, bringing that healing, bringing that sense of where's your identity truly rooted in? Is it in your career? Is it in your relationships? Is it in, you know, wherever or is it in me? And I think some of these core truths needed to be embedded in our hearts before, you know, I felt God was able to bring us back together and start putting fresh foundations down um, and building back together. Yeah, and I, I said that um, I rang Steve quite readily. And actually, I mean, what we've said how long we've known each other. He was one of my best friends for years. And so I'd actually felt that loss in those two weeks that I hadn't been with him. Um, but actually, the, what I found harder was walking back into our church. Um, everybody knew we were a very small church plant. And I thought, well, what? how are they going to respond to me? I mean, obviously, some people had reached out um, beforehand. 
but I, it, that was the probably the most painful thing. Um, and actually the love and the grace that they showed me um, was just wonderful. And, and actually being amongst people who knew the worst about my capabilities of what I could sink to, which I hadn't even realized about myself, and yet they still loved and accepted me it was just so freeing. Yeah. Um, and actually some of those couples are now part of our wider leadership team and it's just such a joy to be able to um, lead alongside them um, and to have been on that journey for such a long time with them too. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, I re- when I picked up your book, I really wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. And when you share that story in the first couple of chapters, it just, I was just blown away just by your courage in sharing that. I appreciate, as you said, you know, to, to keep resharing it is almost to keep, you know, revisiting some of the trauma, but it, it's so powerful. I feel like it's such a, a precious thing that you've been so kindly and courageously shared with us so that we can learn from it. Um, and actually, I think, I mean, there's so much to talk about, about that, but um, a couple of things the the guy's house was behind yours so you could see, had to see his house regularly and know the pain and the, he'd, you had to walk through to forgiving Claire and forgiving him and yet still seeing his house there but then also your willingness to recognize that the problem was co-created you know often we think oh the person who's left is the person who's done wrong but I think you share quite openly even just then your realization that the problem was just as much yours as it as it was Claire's yeah absolutely i mean i think this is where the gospel comes so beautifully in because you know whenever we talk about forgiveness um it's always in the light of what jesus has done for us you know we we forgive as the lord forgave us and i think for me it was a case of recognizing uh that actually in the light of that what else could i do apart from forgive not just forgive Claire but also forgive this other guy as well um doesn't mean to say it was easy of course not and it's a daily choice it's it's not a one-off decision um but I think you know again R.T. Kendall writes so beautifully on that in in his book uh, on forgiveness uh, total forgiveness um just how ultimately if we if we hold on to unforgiveness ultimately it just becomes a root of bitterness it doesn't do anyone any favors, least of all yourself. But when we choose to forgive, it's actually releasing us, releasing us from the pain, releasing us from the control that trauma and that situation had over us. It's actually a relief for us. I knew I had to do that. But also God spoke to me very powerfully through the book of Hosea and just the fact that he pursues, you know, Israel, he pursues those he loves. And I really felt that that was what God was calling me to do to actually fully pursue love because uh, p- pursue Claire because that is ultimately what God showed us you know it's a sacrificial costly love and surely that's what marriage is you know we 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 call to lay our lives down for our partner and and just that sense of sacrificial costly love that Jesus demonstrated for us was was very simply what I need I knew I needed to to demonstrate to Claire so yeah, every time those little triggers, those little flashes, you know, seeing the house opposite, you know, across the road or whatever, um, it's just a constant revisit. Okay, no, I've I've chosen to forgive. I've chosen to forgive. I've chosen to forgive. And it's, yeah, it's, as I said, it's one of the most hardest, painful things I think God asks us to do, but absolutely vital if we're ever to walk in freedom. So, um, yeah. And also, yeah, as you say, just recognize your own part to play in it, because I knew Claire 
um, wasn't feeling valued. I knew Claire wasn't feeling cherished. I knew Claire wasn't feeling um, pursued herself in our marriage. Um, and that had to change. That had to change. So Yeah, you talk about the, the just the trap of complacency, don't you? Just um, complacency and both you mentioned earlier about just feeling trapped as though things can't change in my life. My work's too like this. It's just the season we're in. You, just, you settle for slow deterioration of things. Absolutely. Settling. I mean, I mentioned, um, uh, actually, it wasn't in the book, it's somewhere else. But um, when we first moved into our house, we had this horrendous lampshade in our dining room. And I remember walking in and saying, that's the first thing that's going. Um, we can't live at all with that lampshade. I think it was two years on. I remember we were sitting at our dining table. We'd done the kitchen. We'd decorated the bathroom. We'd sort of even started doing stuff around the garden. And I looked up and there was that lampshade still there. And I was like, how is that even still there? We've just grown used to it. And again, it's just going back to that sense of complacency. You just get used to just, I know this isn't right. I'm, I'm not even comfortable with this, but this is our lot. This is our life. And we settle. And God calls us to so much more than that. Um, and sadly for us, it, you know, certainly for me, it took this kind of massive wake up call um, to realise that. So my, our prayer is that it doesn't take that for others, that we are diligent. Um, but also, as Claire said, feeling trapped, you know, as well, feeling trapped in a marriage. But I felt trapped almost in, in my job in one sense. I had no other place I felt I could turn, no other kind of qualification uh, in that sense. And yet we'd never tried. And I think, you know, any encouragement for people who are just saying, I feel trapped, I, I don't know what to do about it. Obviously, pray, ask God for wisdom. And, you know, when we did that, we just I just thought, I wonder, I wonder if if I go to the CEO and I say this ridiculous claim that on the front of it will, you know, no one will no one will say yes to that. And he did. And he said, you know, based on my track record, based on he said, I think you can do the work. Do you think you can get the work done in that time? I was like, well, I could give it a go. Um, he okayed it. So, um, and that was the, yeah, I said that was the sign that Claire needed, that things could change. And Claire, I mean, you mentioned in, in, in your uh, reflections on that moment as well, that people often forget about or don't think too much about the trauma and the challenge of the person who's left and what they're going through. A lot of the attention is on the person who's been left behind. But actually, it was just so it was felt so precious, uh, to be honest, to hear it from that point of view, to be reminded of the humanity um, and the personal challenges that the individual who's walked away is going through. I think we can be danger. We, we can fall into the trap of thinking they sinned, so they're gone. You think, well, that's not how God works. And and I was just wondering for yourself, I think, you, again, you might have touched this in the book, how you rebuilt because you felt justified in your mind and as though God had given you a, a grace and a blessing to do what you did and so it must have been very disorienting I know for you your relationship with God is very you can tell it's very um, dear to you very you know um, intimate and close a lot of reflection and so how did you then kind of reorient yourself um, when you realized that maybe this wasn't something that had God's blessing on it yeah that I mean that was the, the most disorientating and bewildering part of it yes I mean I knew what I was doing was sinful and yet I didn't feel like I had another choice but just to go back on your point I mean something you said a little while ago before Steve started speaking I've been thinking do I say this do I say this but actually I think it's really you've just raised it again I think it's so important that we all church leaders but also church members yeah when when a couple walks through something like this 
that we have compassion for both yeah. parties. Um, and my, my sister went through a very messy um, divorce a few years um, before everything that happened with us. And actually, because she was the one who walked away, um, she was basically excommunicated by her church. So they were told by their church leaders, do not contact her anymore. And the pain of that, when actually we knew the full story and we knew what had gone on and the pain um, and, and the difficulties on both sides, and it just felt so wrong. Um, and yes, we do. We, we are so quick to judge and so quick to label. And yet, actually, for somebody to get to a point of doing something that they know is very much against their beliefs, there must be mm. so much pain and trauma there. And actually, just to just to listen and to, to say, I'm here for you. It just I mean, that I said to you, that one person who did that for me really changed things and turned things around for me. I do remember in those two weeks where I was trying to we, we'd actually we were staying with some friends of mine and I was trying to do work. Um, and I was trying to to accept what I had done and accept that this was my life now. And that was quite hard. Um, and I remember I was I had some worship music on and and it was just the pang of I didn't feel as close to God anymore. And I, I just said to him, well, why can't I have this and you? Why can't I have both? Um, and but I knew there was a distance there. Um, and and I, I spoke to my sister and I, I put it in one of the books because I know I asked her permission. Um, and I and I said to her, well, why has God allowed you to walk away from your marriage? Um, and because she did end up divorced, but he's not let me. And it just feels like there is there is a problem here. He's not letting me have rest. He's not letting me have peace. And she was the one who turned around and said, because he's got a calling on your marriage. And I was like, whoa. So, and and I do believe God is, his heart is to restore all marriages. Um, and what my sister's walked through has been incredibly painful and difficult. But for, for that to come out of her mouth, that really made me sit up and take notice as well. And I think it was just getting to a point once I was back living at my parents of, of actual complete and utter surrender mm. and acknowledging, OK, God, I've really screwed up my life here. I made some stupid decisions out of hurt, out of pain, um, but they haven't made things better. They've made things worse. And so I just lay all of it down and I had to get to a point of and it was it was hard because obviously I had a broken heart from just being rejected by somebody who I'd just pinned all my hopes on. But I also felt the hurt of I know Steve's in on this but do, can I trust him mm. um, and so wrestling with all that and can I trust you God as well because actually I prayed about this and I wrestled for my marriage for a decade and nothing seemed to change even though I did cry out and pour it all out to you over and over again so there was a huge amount but it, it was basically just getting to the end, end of myself and just saying look God I've messed up big time here I know you are sovereign and just surrendering myself. And, and when I made the choice to start building back with Steve, I didn't feel very much at all. And that was painful for Steve. And, and it was painful for me too. And it's like, I know he loves me so much. He's really shown me in the last few months. And I wish I had the feelings, but I actually had to make some decisions before the feelings came. Fortunately, they did follow. Um, but I think there was so much pain masking it all. Um, and so, yeah, it was just absolute surrender realizing I, I have I can't do I can't be in charge of my life because I've just messed it up and so it was just complete surrender to God and allowing him to work on me to heal and to then 
direct me where I should go. Yeah. 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 You mentioned that thing that your sister said in the book it was a very moving moment. I think another thing that really stood out was when you were going through that time of wrestling and I think you were suffering from poor mental health and you went to see the doctor and the doctor said to you, well, it sounds like you need a new husband without any hint of sarcasm. And yeah. again, that really hit me. I think in the chapter you talk about a countercultural nature of Christian living that is called to self-sacrifice. And even like you just said there really, about putting a decision ahead of my feelings. My feelings weren't in this. And actually, I can totally imagine that the thought of going back to something that for 10 years you'd been really unhappy in required a huge amount of faith and courage on your part to be willing to fight for something that probably felt a little bit like a trap and a life sentence at the time. Yeah, and actually we went to, so we did that that week long of intensive um, ministry, but then we found um, some more local counsellors that we saw regularly. And our first homework they, they set us was to um, to think back to why we got together in the first place, what we loved about one another, what we loved doing together. Mm. And I got really angry and I was like, that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> I don't want to think about that right now. I'm still just so hurt. And so, yeah, there were there were a lot of ups and downs. And I used to um, I used to get completely overcome with the emotion at times and just sit and howl. And Steve would just hold me because there were there were no answers that there was nothing that I could really vocalize apart from a deep pain. Um, and but he was there with me through it all, which must have been so painful for him to watch because he knew he'd caused a lot of that. Um, but it was just having to work through it all and, and let it out and let it go. Um, so yeah it wasn't easy even once we decided to get back together it was still a very difficult road yeah a lot of the time when we talk about trust you know uh, the emphasis is on oh how did you how did you learn to trust her again you know the offended party you know actually it's it was a joint journey we had to learn to trust each other again um and you know to help each other in that growing to growing in trust and, and choosing to trust mm. Steve, there's so much of what you shared as well that I just thought probably resonates with a lot of men, particularly, I guess, a lot of men that I've had the experience of talking with um, who it's not that you're not emotional. It's just that I think you you said if you're if you were to measure emotions on a graph, it would be a flat line. Like you're just (laughs) (laughs) yeah. you said you're just quite steady, quite constant, quite reliable dependable all brilliant things but I I suppose when you're in a situation where your wife's really suffering and saying that she's feeling unloved unheard but you're just kind of plowing on regardless just feeling quite steady how and I think the way you describe your journey to try to listen to your emotions and try to you know grow a bit in emotional maturity do you want to help some guys out there who probably resonate and go a bit like you you know they're very good with their hands they love solving problems practically but I think you even said I I can solve things practically but I don't know how to solve things relationally it felt like an alien landscape for you what are some lessons that you've learned along the way there (laughs) I'm still learning yeah absolutely still learning and I think you know that's something I constantly have to fight against you know being a Mr Fixer and it's like, jump in. Oh, I know what to do. And I've actually, I think one of the key things, as Claire has already mentioned, learning just to listen. And, you know, as she was, you know, pouring her heart out and just kind of even just groaning, um, just being there, knowing that your presence is absolutely what she needs at that point. But what's going on inside? I still really struggle with that. I still have to ask myself, how am I feeling? What's going on? Why am I reacting in that way? Um, questions I never used to ask myself, you know, I grew up in that whole sort of 
um, I suppose, culture that you can't trust emotions. Yes, emotions shouldn't drop, be in the driving seat, but I kind of went to, therefore, emotions shouldn't, should be completely ignored, which obviously is really dangerous. We need to be aware of our emotions and why we're feeling certain ways. So for me, it was asking questions, asking myself those questions and actually learning to listen, but also understanding that we have a God who really understands us, who really gets us. And when we don't know why we're feeling a certain way, we can always ask him, ask the Holy Spirit. Can you just reveal to me? You know, he's our, our paraclete, one who comes alongside us. He's the one who, who truly gets us. And so we can ask him, you know, why am I feeling like I'm feeling? And, you know, what am I feeling? Um, I think he can bring some light into that and help us to navigate. Um, because, yeah, ultimately, otherwise we just become a closed book. Uh, Claire doesn't know what's going on in my head half the time and so but having said that actually you've been the one who's helped me as well so praying for the Holy Spirit to just bring that revelation but also asking Claire who's far more astute with what's going on in my head than than I am so you know and she'll be asking me questions um, and I've just got to re resist the urge to say well I don't know um, and actually start digging in um, it's just been a bit diligent getting through that tough topsoil and actually starting to turn over regularly, asking yourself those questions is so important. And actually, that's one thing that I would say. Um, that's part of the reason that we said, remember, you are on the same side. You are part of a team is that actually there are so often things that are complete opposites about one another. And as Steve has said, I mean, actually, at the moment, something that we're working through and going through together and as a family, it's great that he's much more grounded and level headed than me because I'm having quite an emotional reaction to it. So that is working well right now. But yes, as he said, there it, it's often one of you that's more emotionally um, aware of what's going on and actually um, trusting one another in that and allowing the person who is to to just maybe just gently guide conversations say actually I think we need to have a chat about this and and have you thought about how you responded here um can we just talk about this situation um I think perhaps we need to pray about this this is how I'm feeling about it can we just try and unpack how you're feeling just that so the person who is more aware just to take the initiative of having those conversations because otherwise they may they may never happen um, because the other person isn't really aware in the same way so it's yeah it's trusting one another and realizing that actually you may be very different but you are one and so um, what affects one of you affects the other and actually understanding how each of you responds to things and, and how you're emotionally made up um, really helps yeah um, and it's a difference between being emotional just simply emotional and being emotionally aware yeah. I think you know you can be both but you can also be less emotional and still emotionally aware and I think that's what I need to work on I might be less you know wear my heart on my sleeve um, but I can still be emotionally aware and the, the two aren't necessarily the same yeah, that's really helpful because we all know lots of people who've got lots of emotions, but there's not much awareness about what's going on yeah. or the maturity to know what to do with those emotions as well. Um, and I and I, I really like, you know, you use the word compassion as well, having compassion for people, which I, as, as a pastor and as those in pastoral ministry, having compassion. I'm, I mean, it's wonderful to hear how the church responded, but... Um, how does this have you had many opportunities to sit and counsel people in the church and you say you do pre-marriage prep and stuff tell me about how your stories kind of affected and shaped the culture of marriage in your church yeah see that is something that 
really surprised me and I actually had to wrestle with God about because we were still I had moved back home but we were still in counselling we were still working through things there was still quite a lot of pain and God began to bring people to us already um, and we had couples coming to us to saying thank you so much for being so open and honest and sharing about what's happened and it's we feel we've got permission now and actually we're struggling with this um, and I was like, well, God, why are you bringing these people to us already? We're still broken. And it was just so much about the fact that we've lifted the lid on something that people have suppressed for so long. And we'd done it ourselves for years. I mean, we we were married so young that we were the only married couple in our friendship group. So we just, our view of marriage was what we saw on a Sunday morning from the couples older than us that all just looked absolutely perfect and fine. And so we thought, well, that's just how we've got to act as well. Um, and so we that's partly why we had never said anything. And, and actually just the act of having everything just pushed Blown open, open. Yeah. Um, it just it meant other people began to talk. Um, and actually, when um, when I did a book launch for because sometimes I do look out in the congregation, I think, wow, we've got people who have journeyed with us right from the start with all of this. And it's really precious. But there are other people who probably or possibly hopefully not now, because hopefully they've <laughs> all bought our books, but possibly don't know our story. Um, and that's really weird to, to think that. But actually, um, when we, we did a, a masked ball for my taking off the mask um when it launched which was great fun and and the next day we um we did a we preached together didn't we and just told a bit of our story told a bit about the heart behind um our authentic leadership style um and a couple had been visiting and they came straight up to us at the end and said we we know we found our church just because of the way you've just been so open and honest um and we yeah we spent some time with them afterwards and so we've, we've just kind of found that and actually people have reached out to us um I really felt just um somebody within a group that I'm part of with on Facebook just shared a prayer request and I really felt God say send this chapter to her. it was while we were in the editing process so the book wasn't out and I sent her that chapter she gave it to her husband and it restored their marriage because they were in real difficulties mm. and I, I I did a women's day a few years ago um and just it wasn't on this subject at all um, and yet I mentioned part of my story and this woman came up at the end and said, I'd packed my bags. I was leaving my husband today. My friend pushed me into coming and I thought, fine, I'll sit through the conference and then I'll go home and I'll leave. And she said, now I'm on my knees and I want you to pray that, that God will restore our marriage. And it, it's those kind of things that are so humbling. And you think, OK, God, this might be painful and costly to talk about at times, but you are using it. And that's the point. Um, and it is just so wonderful to see. And and even all the hours that it's taken to write the books, um, even if it just saves one marriage, it, it's just it's just so wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly, you know, after this whole season of COVID, yeah. you know, when there's been so much additional pressure put on marriages. I mean, some some marriages have, have flourished and families have flourished in this time because they've been able to spend more time together. But equally perhaps even more so there's been additional pressures um as people are thrown together working juggling home life work life everything else school life um all together and and i think you know we're not unaware of the enemy schemes we know um the enemy hates marriage because of the picture a beautiful picture it is of jesus love for his church and i think you know we if this can be some way of God being able to use this to strengthen marriages, to make people aware of pitfalls, to get people on the front foot when it comes to fighting and and uh, for their marriage and flourishing in their marriage, then, yeah, that's that's just 
wonderful for us. That's that's a, a reward. And while, so I don't forget, while he was just, that's just reminded me where he was saying about where we're at in this time. And actually, yeah, as we come out of the, the last bits of lockdown, it's a, it's a really great opportunity for couples in churches to, to actually spend some time yeah. thinking about their own marriage, but also supporting those that they're close to um, and just reconnecting in a deeper way about that, which is why we were so um, pleased when Big Church Read asked us to um, get involved. So if people don't know what they are, it's um, an initiative set up by the publisher Hodder and Stoughton and St Andrew's Bookshop. And it's just about encouraging people to read more, churches to read more. And so they've got different books that they've asked the authors to create videos. So we've done a series of six videos just kind of unpacking different things that come up in the chapters um, and, and some discussion questions to go alongside it. And they, there are discussion questions at the end of each chapter of the book, but these are specifically for couples to talk to other couples about. And all the videos are free. So um, once they've bought our book, <laughs> they can <laughs> go on to um, Big Church Read um, and look in the library and Gracefield Marriages there. Um, and so there's all those free resources as well, because we do recognise this is a time where couples um may have been under extra pressure but also it's a great chance as we come out of final lockdowns to actually um connect again more deeply with those that we're close to in friendship absolutely because it's one thing for you know husband and wife to talk together which is so important vital it's another thing for couples to talk to each other and journey together and i think that's something we are so keen to do um you know i think one of the key areas that we missed out on in our early days was thinking we were alone and we were in a wonderful church, but we still didn't feel able to talk and share deeply um, with another couple, particularly about our relationships. So, yeah, really encourage people to do that. We, we're called into community, you know, and I think this is one way we can strengthen and support one another mm. talking about our marriages. That sounds fantastic, though. Yeah, I really, look, I really look forward to seeing those videos and trying to engage more people in the in the discussion. I think you're right. We ha- we get married with this image that it's going to be easy. It's going to be, you know, romance and our attraction to each other is going to carry us forward. And then life happens. Um, and this, this, I mean, that's why I, I really appreciate that. As you mentioned earlier, there's so many different stories from guest contributors in the book. There's Wendy Virgo, David Liz Holden, Patrick and Diane Reagan from the Kintsugi Foundation, Sheridan and Merrin Voice, who's a, she, she's the leading statistician for Oxford vaccine trials. And he's a BBC radio contributor, Will Vanderhart. There's so many different people. You know a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> That is a, a life in publishing. Um, so, yes, I have yeah. got quite a lot of connections, which was fantastic to draw on. Yeah. And we so appreciate Absolutely. the fact that they um, were willing to share their stories just because we do recognise we've it's a very specific um, story of our own. And there'll be a lot of Christian couples who may switch off thinking, oh, well, they got to the stage where they separated and we've never got to that stage. And yet all of us face challenges, some mental health challenges, when one falls physically ill for a long time, chronic illness that they, ha- that they have to learn to live with, all sorts mm. of things. And so we, um, infertility. Um, and we, so we try to get uh, lots of different examples, just so hopefully there is something that people can resonate with and think, oh, this is partly like my story. And that's what's so powerful, the, the yeah. telling of stories and, and how God's grace has worked in their lives. It doesn't, he doesn't take the difficulties away, does he? But I mean, Jesus said in this world, mm. you will have trouble, but take heart. And we're hoping that these stories are a way that, that some people can take heart if they might be going through a really tough time right now. It's actually, 
wow, these guys have faced the same kind of things that, that we have. This is showing us how God's grace sustained them um, and just gives mm. them fresh hope as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What are some um, practical things that you, you as having placed as a couple that help you make sure that you're um, keeping regular contact with each other and finding out how each other are doing? I think, again, so appreciate how practical the book is. There's tips on conflict management, communication tips, love languages, creating a vision for your marriage. All of that is really good. What I mean, people used to talk and talk often about the importance of a date night and things like that. What What are some practical things? You mentioned praying together. How does that, what does that look like for you? How do you do it? One of those kind of general questions to take however you want. Again, what does it look like <laughs> practically for you to, to stay in uh, a place of health together? Um, I would say, and we're in a season right now. I mean, it has been a crazy, I know for most people, the past 18 months or so have been really crazy. Um, but there has been, yeah, church leadership as well in the pandemic <laughs> very very crazy but I lost my mum just before then as well so that we feel like we've had wave after wave and haven't had much chance to draw breath so yeah. I'm kind of working through and processing a lot of grief at the moment um which is quite painful but I think one of the things that um we were struck by quite early on in the pandemic is actually we are running really hard and fast together mm. but it's all working on church stuff and it's taking that step back. It's like, okay, what can we do to work on our relationship? And can can we actually sit through a date night and not talk about church? Um, and so that's that can be a real challenge. Um, so it's and actually, Steve's very spontaneous, and I'm not. I like to plan everything, but I've really learned the um, just the value. And and I I work Monday to Friday in the hours that the kids are at school. He has a Monday off. Um, and I, I've learned that actually sometimes it's it's more productive and more important for me to down tools. And he might suggest, let's just go off into drive in the country and, and go and have a walk or go for a pub lunch or something when we're allowed to do such things. Obviously, not a lot of the time in the past year. Um, but just to allow myself to not stick rigidly to what I th- thought I should do in that day. And one of the things that God's actually really taught me over the last few years is actually to pray, pray over my to-do list and just say, God, yeah. you order my day. And part of that has been, okay, I might think I'm going to get all this work done, but actually there's an opportunity um, and it's really important to connect with Steve today. And he's come up with a suggestion. I need to put this aside and go there. So that's been a big thing I think I've been learning. Yeah, I think within that, it's just been very careful not to give your partner your dregs and say all right I've carved out this amount of time we're going to be together but you're so exhausted because you just you know booked yourself up and you know Claire just gets my dregs that's not going to do any for anyone any favors you build this thing up you know it's like oh finally we've got some lovely time together and it's just a bit of a you know a deflated moment so I think just being aware of planning I know Claire says I'm spontaneous but it is you do you do need to plan that it's not just the the tail end um, oh, we'll, That's we'll actually time. quite nice. Um, planned spontaneity. I think Jonathan, yeah. Jonathan and Judith Latoc have some really great tips in the book yeah. about that. And actually, yes, you can be spontaneous, but it might be in a thing that you put in your diary. This is a time for spontaneity as a couple. We can decide what we're going to do then, but this is we put that time aside. And you know, we're talking about praying together. I mean, sometimes it can be really messy because you know, as Claire's saying, she's processing a lot of grief. And a lot of the time it can just be raw, messy, help, arrow prayers. But the fact is you're doing it together. 
um, but also leaving space for each other as well and knowing that Glenn sometimes needs that space and you're not constantly trying to push in and saying, oh no, we need to do this together. It's like we are together, but she just needs to process what she's going through at the moment and giving each other space. But at the same time, yeah, it's okay if it's messy. It's okay if it's just raw, God help us. Um, just as long as you've got that connection. Mm. What would you? What advice would you have for people who feel slightly out of kilter in that um i mean it's lovely that both of you seem to be on the same page in terms of recognizing the importance of time together open conversations honest conversations you know cultivating your own individual spiritual hungers and lives with the lord often you come across married couples where it feels slightly more imbalanced you've got one who is hungry for god and the other's kind of apathetically going along or one's really committed to the marriage and the other's you know complacency How, what advice would you or, or, or often in the case you just have someone who's married to someone who's not a believer which is quite common as well what counsel do you often do, do you offer to people in that position to encourage them and help them work that through um well my mum was married to um a non-believer my dad still isn't a christian um and actually that was i think that's one of the reasons she hung on for so long because she had a promise that that god would save him and actually we had to say to her it might be us who sees that happen you need to let go um and so i've seen years of what it's like to live um not in the same place <clears throat> as far as faith goes and i think there were there were a lot of painful moments but i think um as you said actually take responsibility for your own spiritual walk yeah. don't wait until your partner catches up um don't hear what i'm not saying in that um uh, but also pray and pray like mm. mad for them, actually sacrifice, prefer them as I mean, the Bible says, prefer one another. Um, there was a whole period of time in our um, as I was growing up that my mum felt really strongly that she needed to show my dad. I mean, all three of us were Christians by that time, me, my mum, my, my sister. And so on a, at the weekend, my dad kind of felt a bit out of it because we'd all go off to church and do things. And she really felt God say to her, you need to honour your husband. And so she had a season where she said to him, OK, um, please don't stop the girls going to church. But I am going to God has told me for a season just to stay with you and prioritise you and that have that time together as a couple while the girls are at church. Um, and so I think it's keeping keeping everything um, before God in prayer and being open to the suggestions that he might have for you. I mean, that that is not a suggestion that I would go out and say to everybody to do, um, nor was it something that she kept up for that long. Um, but also um, pray for yourself as well, mm. that you can be sustained um, and resilient in your faith, but also for ways that you can encourage your partner. And it may well be by your own example that you show your partner that actually, wow, there's something much, they've got something much more deep here with God. They've got a, a peace that I don't have. Mm. Um, and I, I would say for years, just purely out of the fact that Steve was utterly and totally exhausted and giving his all in the studio, I would say that I was probably the one that was praying um, and seeking direction. Um, doesn't sound like it from where I got to at the end of the decade, but there were years where I was doing that and doing that well. Um, and so it is all about seasons. Um, and so I think where we got to, even in the midst of our me a mess, it's about total sacrifice before God, um, surrender, um, and also asking for his wisdom and the courage to live out whatever he says to you, um, because it, it can be painful when you're not in the same place. Um, and yeah, I'll just add, you know, if you if you are married to someone who who is a believer, is a follower, but 
you think is in a different place to you. Um, ask questions, share, you know, just be open and say, you know, what God's been saying this to me, or I'm reading this at the moment. This is really challenging me. Start talking about your own spiritual journey with your partner and, you know, invite them in almost. And what do you think about this? Or, or I'm really wrestling over this passage and, you know, um, or, you know, just invite them in to, to your journey. And they might start sharing stuff that God's been speaking to them, but they haven't really felt that sense of, of need or even just have that permission to share with you what's going on. Because some people are pretty deep and private in, in their own um, faith. And it's just encouraging people to draw that out. So again, you're, you're journeying together. Yes, our spiritual um, identity is solely in Christ, not in each other, but we journey together in that so it's just drawing that out of your partner and saying you know what, what's God been saying to you I've, I've been feeling this or that in this season um having those sort of conversations I'd also say um also exercise trust in God and keep laying them in the palm of his hand I've just just reminded of um I've got a series of blogs um on my website clairemusters.com which will run on whenever I get stories in. I'm wanting to keep the stories of different married couples and how God's grace has been at work going. Um, and Kate Nichols has, has written something um, and they weren't Christians when they got married. She became a Christian um, and she's now walking through a second bout of cancer. Um, and she said that God has really taught her actually not to judge where her husband's at um, in his own spiritual walk. And he couldn't, she's... Um, she said she talked she mentions hdb and how she walked in there and thought it was just so full of life and she absolutely loved it and he walked in there once and just closed down he couldn't cope with the style of it um and that actually god has really showed her in the way that he's responded in certain situations that actually there is a faith there it's very different from hers but to trust that god's got him and is taking him on maybe a different journey to her but actually that she shouldn't make assumptions. And, and I think we can do that too easily as well. And we are very, although we are a team and we are one, we are also our own individual personalities mm. and we will respond to things in different ways. And, and that is true of faith too. Mm. And um, that's so, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just, it's placing our relationship and placing our partner in God's hands every day. And that's actually a great thing to remember to do and quite often we can forget that actually okay I'm placing myself in your hands each day but actually mm. I'm placing my husband my wife if we have children I'm placing my kids and actually I trust you that actually you love them more than I do and you want the best for them even more than I do and I'm longing to see that I'm longing to see them on fire for you mm. but I choose again mm. to lay them um, in your hands mm. and, and trust your timing mm. That's really helpful. I think we recognise that we're different temperamentally as people, but actually giving people the freedom to express a spirituality that looks different is healthy. I think from an outsider to look at the Protestant church, you see it splitting in so many different factions. And from the outsider perspective, it looks like just differences of style, which I think sometimes it can just feel like differences of style. And it's important to treasure and give people the freedom to say, just you don't have to be a journaler. You don't have to be someone who gets up at this time to do that some people like almost like you were saying steve are, are much more fix it oriented they engage with god practically on the go through life um and I, it just reminded me of something your dear mum said when she said when you're desperately looking for your husband to change you're looking at the wrong person um, yeah which you quote in the book which was lovely just that importance of looking at yourself praying for yourself taking responsibility for yourself um such wise advice from your mum um 
Well, guys, as we um, draw our time together to a close, is there anything else that you'd really love to just pass on by way of wisdom or advice or something that we've not been able to cover together? I'd, I'd just literally say keep leaning hard on the grace of God. Um, none of this is done in our own strength, in our own enabling. It's only done by trusting in him, in, in his empowering and in his grace. And it's, yeah, that's that's something that we're, we're learning and continue to learn every single day. Wow. Thank you so much. There's so much we haven't touched on that we could do, but people will have to go and buy the book then, won't they? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we can't cover everything. We can't do all the work for people. <laughs> Claire and Steve, thank you so much for your time and for, as I said, your courage in putting this together on uh, putting pen to paper and the hours spent writing it. It's been a blessing to me and I know it's going to be a huge blessing to many others. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to, us to come on the podcast and, and share about it.